into read in verse 24 through verse 37 a breakneck pace and speed of getting through Mark chapter 13. So we'll take a rather large chunk um, this morning. What a beautiful, beautiful day it is this morning. We are blessed. I love that song. Um, I trust that the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns in your heart. And that because of that, you can say, regardless of the difficult circumstances, that it is well with my soul. Let me always remind you and invite you that if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, um, make sure you speak with me. Pull one of the elders, one of the pastors aside, anyone up here leading worship. The single most important reason for our being here is to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, acknowledging what he has done and who he is as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I'd like to read our text first this morning, and then we'll pray, and then we'll kind of dive into it. So let me direct your attention. Mark chapter 13 will begin in verse 24. I was reminded this week, the only part of a pastor's message that is ever perfect is the time that he gets to read scripture. And so it is a great privilege uh, to read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as part of the Olivet Discourse. It says this, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and and gather his elect from the four winds and the four ends of the earth, the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It it is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and finds you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Let's bow our heads and go before the throne of grace in prayer this morning. 
Father, we have a text before us that I plead with you for help and direction and clarity of thought and mind and speech. I pray, Lord, that the name of Jesus would be exalted. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you directly through the work of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that as your word has promised, uh, he is everything and more that we could ever hope for, we could ever want, we could ever need. We thank you, Lord, that he is the the bread of life, the everlasting water. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, the author and the finisher, the great I Am. As we have our heads bowed now before you, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We live in a day and a time where there seems to be trouble all around, and yet it is nothing in comparison to what will come. Help us, Lord, to be ready and watchful, to be alert, to stay awake. Help us, Lord, to be um, clear communicators of the good news. Uh, We thank you, Lord. I I thank you for every person that is here, regardless of the circumstances that they have come, if this is the very first time or they've been here for many, many years. I just pray, Lord, that we would hear from you and that we'd leave knowing that you've directed us. to be faithful to the task, to keep our hands to the plow, to keep our eyes on you. Father, I just pray that you would be glorified. Uh, Lead us, direct us, speak to us. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Um, In my family, there were four children growing up. I am the third, or as I often refer to myself as the forgotten child, um, usually number three of four. But it's interesting, and I remember this so clearly, when dad and mom would leave the house when we were getting a little bit older, they would leave our oldest sister, her name was Trish, typical, typical older child, first child in every way. When my mom and dad left the house, she immediately reminded us that she was not in charge. She would use the term in control the entire time. We could not refer to her by her first name, Trish. She must, must always be referred to as Miss Beth Ann Love was the term that she chose for herself. I think she aspired at one day to be a school teacher, and so she, she chose her name. And so we had to refer to her older sister as Miss Beth Ann Love, which is kind of awkward in many ways, knowing that she's in control of the entire situation of everyone. And we know that, and this happens in your own home, when mom and dad leave, they give certain chores, um, responsibilities, areas that need to be addressed or accomplished. Um, And we would very quickly get through those chores so we could just play. And that was really the story of our lives. It's interesting, though, that the instruction was always, before mom and dad were to be home, that we were to, and I have it in quotes, always to be tucked into bed. Okay, before mom and dad got back, we were always to be tucked into bed at that point. And it wasn't all the time, but a special date night for mom and dad. And so the instruction was, you better make sure you're in bed before they get in. Now, the advantage was we had a long driveway, and we could always see the, the headlights coming, which always gave us that 30-second, maybe 45-second window, wherever we are, 
to make sure that we were in bed, tucked in, when mom and dad returned. Now, the idea to this whole uh, uh, lesson is that you, you, couldn't, you couldn't just play, you couldn't just have a fun time, you just couldn't totally do whatever you wanted without keeping a constant watch for those headlights. Because what? The instruction was, you better be tucked in. So what happened is that you go about your daily fun time, your task, whatever it is, and you learn to always, always be ready. You have no idea when they're going to return. In a sense, this is kind of the tone of this particular text that we have before us. It's very easy, if you were to go back and review all of Mark chapter 13, listen to some of these phrases. In verse 9 it says, but be on your guard. Verse 23 it says, but be on guard. Verse 33, be on guard, keep awake. Verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, stay awake. Verse 37, the very last words of the entire chapter, stay awake. And you're like, wow, what are we staying awake for? What, what are we watching? What are we looking for? Let's back up and get a little bit as far as what is happening here. Those of you that are just joining us for the first time, we're in the very final moments of Passion Week. We're in the last day uh, of Jesus' formal public ministry. It's probably late on Wednesday. Thursday, we know that Jesus will be betrayed. Friday, he will be crucified. Sunday, Jesus will rise from the dead. At this moment that he's talking, the words are in red. If you you have a Bible with, with red letters, Jesus is sitting close to those who are closest to him. Four of the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They have left, what, the Temple Mount. They're sitting now on the Mount of Olives. They look back and see this amazing temple. And and Jesus reminds them there's not going to be one stone, not one brick, not one block that remains in place. The disciples, in a sense, looking for the kingdom to be established, are asking, well, what's going to be the sign here? When will these things take place? And so the entire 32 verses of Mark chapter 13 is, in a sense, a response to these questions Um, talking about the fact that this is history to come. This is predictive. Uh, This is, in a sense, Jesus um, prophetically speaking about what to be looking for. And there's this idea of what? A, A picture of a woman, a mother in labor or about to give birth, where there's birth pains or birth pangs, that as the time nears, the contractions become faster and they become uh, uh, more intense. Guys are just kind of like squishing their noses up at that very thought. We can't fully understand it. But that's the image of what is coming with this particular increasing pain and more difficult time. Instruction was what? Be wise, be watchful, be witnesses. We saw that in the early parts. Last week we talked about this horrific event, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist standing where we ought not stand. And it talks about not just tribulation, this word thlipsis, but great tribulation. The last three and a half years are even more intense. We talk about, in a sense, hell is just opened up. Satan and the demons just wreak havoc 
And we saw about a horrible, horrifying death and drought and famine and earthquakes and hailstones, persecutions. The sun, the moon, the stars go, go, go dark. All hell breaks loose that leads up to this moment that we see in verses 24 through verse 31. My first point I want to give to you this morning is this. We need to be ready for the harvest of souls. Number one, we need to be ready for the harvest of souls. Listen to this. It says in verse 26, in those days after the tribulation. So where are we prophetically following at the end of? It says that they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Unprecedented, unseen up to this moment. And he will send out the angels and he will gather his elect from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And we know that Mark 13 is written as a correlating text to Matthew chapter 24. And it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. I think it's important to understand it cannot be speaking of any other distress from any other time. We know the temple has already been destroyed in AD 70, but it's not speaking about that. This is because the end time follows. Now there's a there, there's there's this day of the Lord that you will hear of repeatedly in scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament, I'm actually going to give you some texts and read these for you. You can write them down and you can read them on your own later on. But it's important to understand that there's literally going to come a time of what we call cosmic chaos. A time of celestial phenomena that has never been seen or known. The language and the imagery that comes from the Old Testament descriptions of this day of the Lord. There are many, many verses that describe this holocaust of, of, of wicked behavior. And it is under the strong, heavy hand of God's judgments. A message that, well, we hear about a God of grace, and he is a God of grace, and a God of mercy, and a God of unconditional love. And they are all true. But there's, there's a moment, in a sense, where God stays his hands of mercy, and he unleashes or releases his wrath. As Ed was singing for us earlier from John chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17, that it's going to be one of two places that your soul will spend all of eternity in. Heaven, a literal heaven, or a literal hell. In a sense, it's this, this, this day of the Lord that we begin to see a glimpse, perhaps, of what this hell is like Isaiah chapter 24 verses 1 and 3 says the Lord lays the earth waste. Well, wait a minute, the same earth that he spoke into creation, all of the beauty. We live in an amazingly beautiful place. God spoke it into existence. the hill out of nothing. And yet it actually says in Isaiah chapter 24, speaking what of this moment that the Lord what will empty the earth, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. The earth will be completely laid waste, completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. Isaiah chapter 34 says, Draw near, O nations, to hear and listen, O peoples, let the earth and all its contains here and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's, Lord's indignation 
or anger is against all the nations. His wrath against all his enemies. He has utterly destroyed them and given them over to slaughter. What a cheerful message to greet us on a Sunday morning. No, I'm sorry. This is the truth of God's word. In Joel, in chapter 2, in verse 10, it says, The earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, the stars lose their brightness, the Lord utters his voice before his army, his heavenly army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. This is a theme that you have repeated through scripture. We read in Isaiah 24, Isaiah 34, Joel chapter 2, Ezekiel chapter 38, in verses 19 through 23. In my zeal, in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, all the men on the earth, on the face of the earth, will shake in my presence. There's a day coming that is described with this type of words and language. Haggai in chapter 2 and verse 6, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all of the nations. They will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill his house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Zephaniah in chapter 1 in verses 14 through 18, The great day of the Lord near and coming very quickly, a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry. On that day, all the earth will be devoured. You could read text after text and verse after verse, and it's talking about the fact that in Mark chapter 13, it's here. This is the moment that they're talking about. The stage is set. Everything has been completed for Jesus' final return. Think about this celestial phenomenon where sun and moon and stars are what? They're, They're given way. Did you see the moon last night? Trying to take a picture of it and like it doesn't do justice. Like just put the camera away. Put the phone away. This this is in a sense what this is a climax moment. It is the arrival of the Son of Man. And it says that he's coming, and I love this, with great power and glory. Jesus, when he uses this, is actually quoting from his own word in Daniel in chapter 7. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Remember the disciples are asking, Lord, what's it going to be like the establishment of your kingdom? And he says, it's going to look like this, but before this, all hell breaks loose. 
But there's a moment that is coming. Jesus returns with great power and great glory. The emphasis I want you to see and hear with that particular phrase is one of triumph. It is one who returns in absolute victory. Jesus keeps his promise. Jesus comes back. And Jesus wins in every way. And see this so different from his very first arrival, where in a sense, Jesus in many ways was hidden or or was veiled from his glory in his first coming. Now he is fully revealed. Jesus in his first coming came what? As a little baby in a manger. His glory in a sense hidden behind the whimpering cries of a baby. He was born, Isaiah 53 talks about the fact that he was a lowly suffering servant, despised and rejected. Philippians chapter 2 speaks about this. But that's the first coming and, and no longer. Now we have our focus on his second coming. Every single one, those who mock the name, those who curse the name of Jesus, everyone will see him for who he really is. Jesus uses a word picture. It says from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As a fig tree shows signs when the season of fruit is near, so are there signs of his second coming. Jesus always has one concern. It always has been and always will be the soul's of mankind, We see this all the way through the theme of, of, of the Gospel of Mark. Where Jesus is coming to gather together his own people. It says in, 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 in his word in verse 27, to gather his elect. In a sense, Jesus in full authority dispatches his angels to the ends of the earth, to the ends of heaven. Now if you recall, it has been from the very, very beginning... All about what the souls of mankind being in fellowship and relationship with God. That was the intention of creation. The Garden of Eden. Imperfect harmony. A close intimacy. A communion between man and God. And yet we know because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3 that everything in that what? In that rebellion has collapsed and brought us to the state that we're in today. But what is, what, what, is, what is the gospel end like in the book of Revelation? Yet Revelation that we read the other week that talks about what destruction after destruction, and we talk about what seals being opened and trumpets and bowls of judgment. And yet how does the book of Revelation end? It ends with what? The souls of mankind those who have been called, those who are elect, those who have received, those who have accepted and acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ, they are once again in perfect communion. And Revelation chapter 21 and 22 ends with a perfect description of what heaven's going to be like. And so what was in Genesis, excuse me, in, in Genesis chapter 1 in the Garden of Eden, we see all the way through mankind, in a sense, just given, given the free reign to cause the destruction that we see all around us, the disaster. And yet what it culminates in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 where there's this intimacy. And so Jesus, in his entire message, never misses a glimpse to be concerned about the souls 
I will oftentimes refer to what? The only thing that lives and endures forever. The word of God, we just read that. And the souls of mankind. And so I present to you this morning, as we, in a sense, look forward to this great harvest, how important are the souls of mankind, the souls of others, to you? The way that you really examine and begin to answer that question is to look at your, look at your Google calendar. Look at, look at your little, what, your little uh, daytime or whatever system you use. And we all use a system. We have to go certain places and meet with certain people and accomplish certain things and sit through or work or earn or play. Look at your checkbook or your bank statement or your balance and you begin to see the priorities on where, 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 where is the priority of your life being invested into the lives of the souls of mankind versus our own hobbies and careers and our own accomplishments and our own reputation and, and our own toys and our house and the emphasis that we place in our home or our tinkering with our, 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 our projects. If you begin to really measure the, the moments of the week, how, how many of those moments are not focused on what you want, but focusing on what? Ministering to the souls of mankind. Every single person that you know will spend eternity in one of two places. You have repeatedly heard the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Letitia talked about that today. She said she can't wait to go to Guatemala to share the good news. I love that testimony. We constantly hear that. And yet it seems like the souls of mankind and God is preparing this harvest of souls. And yet oftentimes it's like number eight or nine or ten on our list behind what we think is important. Secondly, we also are to be ready for the king to return. It says this in verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, because we're all inquisitive, we're all inquiring. Like when, like when, when do you think we'll see the headlights coming up the driveway? Like, do you have any idea at 9, 9.30? But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard and keep awake, for you don't know when the time is come. Jesus, the master communicator, we know that. He is the ultimate teacher, gives, he paints a picture for every single one of us we can very easily understand. Here's, here's the picture that Jesus uses. He says there's a man who leaves his home and he goes on a journey and he leaves his servants in charge. Each of his servants has his own work and in a sense has his own commands. A picture we can all easily identify with. You're like, wait a minute, uh, Pastor. We don't have any servants in our house. Well, that would be correct. Most of you probably do not have servants, but I can probably tell you that most of you have a boss. I hate to disappoint you, but in this story, you're the servant. You're not the master of the house. There's a big difference here. That's the picture in a sense. Think about it. The, the, the house that we have been left in charge of 
as his servants, the house that we have been left in charge of is not our house. But it's his house. Consider, in a sense, the local church. Consider this church, Big Woods Bible Church. Um, It is not my church. It is not even our church. But this house of God, this body of believers, what is his house? Oftentimes, when problems occur within the context of the local church, it comes because people either have forgotten or they are presently forgetting one of the biggest and most important rules. That, that, that people have problems in churches because you think it's your church, that you own your church. This is my church. And that's like, that's like rule number one. That we've got to begin to understand here. We all get to live and get to serve. Every single one of us have a responsibility in the master's house. Three things in closing I want to give you when it comes to this idea. Understand first and foremost, everyone has an appointed task. Every single person that is sitting here right now, every single person has an appointed task. It says what in verse 34? Each with his, with his work and commands. Each with his own work and commands. And it talks about the doorkeeper, which, it, which implies in a sense there's one at the door, there's one at the gate, which means there's probably two or three in the kitchen, right? It, it implies that there's probably four that are working in the stable, It implies that there's probably six working out in the fields. Or we could translate that and say, what, there's probably a couple that are in the coffee bar uh, uh, serving coffee, and there's a couple at the greeter's table, and there's a couple that are at the front door greeting people today. There's usually one driving the van, and there's a whole bunch of people that are working in the nursery or teaching Sunday school, or, or what, will be here for the VBS meeting later on this morning. It talks about every single one of us has a task. Only when the individual understands their task and the role that they have been given does the house run smoothly. Understand that Ephesians 4 talks about that. Romans 12 talks about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about that. It talks about the fact that there's, 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 there's what? Diversity. But there's a need for Unity. There's different moving parts of the body, but we all function together as one. Every one of us is to work with a willingness and an attitude and an expectation that what? On any given moment, the owner of the house will return. Every one of us has an appointed task. Therefore, you need to understand or ask it's not a difficult thing to like, so what is my task? Talk to someone. What, what are you good at? What do you like to do? What are you good at doing? Other people very clearly and quickly steer you and position you in a place to use the gifts God has given for his glory. Not only does everyone have an appointed task, secondly, everyone is to remain faithful. Every one of us are to remain faithful. 
I read recently of a really great and a simple question that we need to ask ourselves. And I would even suggest that we ask ourselves this question regularly. It goes something like this. Ask yourselves, how would you spend tomorrow? Tomorrow would be uh, Monday, the day after Sunday. Uh, tomorrow would be July the 10th, 2070. How would you spend tomorrow if you knew that Jesus was going to return in the evening? Ever given that thought? The great um, English preacher John Wesley was once asked that question. He, may, he, he was asked that question as he literally made his way from one preaching engagement to another. They asked him the question, how would you spend tomorrow? And he took out his diary. And in his diary, he had a list of engagements of where he was supposed to be to the next day. And his response was this. These are the things that I would do tomorrow if I knew that the Lord was returning then. Do, do you function in a sense like that? Absolutely unashamed. Absolutely focused with a clear goal that what? There are souls at stake and the king, the master of the home, is going to return. In a sense, just like Wesley responds, that is the way that Jesus challenges each one of us to live. Faithful to the task, knowing what the fact, finally, that no one but God the Father knows when Jesus will return. No one. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Wait a minute, the angels, like they hang with God. Or how about this? Nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, how we with finite minds begin to address the Trinity that God is three in one, completely separate, yet completely single. How we explain this, it is hard to understand. That's an understatement. Especially that Jesus is fully God. But think of it like this. Just as God limited his own son in bodily form, which means weaknesses. He had body odor. Can you believe that, Jesus? That, that in a sense that, that Jesus was limited by way of his own death. Philippians chapter 2, our, our Heavenly Father also kept certain things from Jesus. I like the way, and I conclude with a quote from Alistair Begg, makes some very important um, practical observations from this text. He says, to be ignorant of the exact time and date of Jesus' return is to be in very good company. And I like that. I like the fact that we do not know, so we are to be busy about the work of the gospel because the master of the house is going to return. We don't know, but it's okay. The angels don't know. Jesus himself does not know. Begg continues on. He says, our ignorance of the exact time is no excuse to be lazy or to be unprepared. And that is so true. Keep our hand to the plow. And finally, our ignorance of the exact time should actually be an incentive for us. That what? That you didn't enjoy playing at quite the same, same level, knowing that you always had to be watching the driveway for the headlights to be coming. In a sense, that's the way that we are to literally move our way through every single day. 
that we never forget. We never come to a place that we are so wrapped up in our own lives, our own worries, our own stresses, our own appointments and tasks and accomplishments that we are missing, that we miss out. And the important reminder that this entire chapter, Mark chapter 13, gives us a single theme. Be awake. Be awake. Be on your guard. Be ready. So that when Christ returns, he returns finding us faithful and obedient servants and followers of Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for this reminder. We know, Lord, that um, there's no doubt signs and troubles uh, to come. But we, Lord, also are mindful of the fact uh, that just as you have a concern for souls of others, that we are to have a concern. Father, I would ask that you would give us the strength to be faithful and to stay awake and alert, not to be lulled asleep by the, the, just the, the, the doldrums that this world has to offer. Our Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, that you have a perfect plan. Help us, Lord, to live with a, um, a healthy fear of you. Not terrifying in the sense of uh, being afraid of who you are, but seeing you, Lord, with a sense of, of awe, a reverential awe to your power and your glory and your might. Help us, Lord, to be uh, submissive to your authority and to live accordingly. We ask this in Jesus' name.